This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone! Otani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. It is the greatest set in Major League Baseball. It's a gorgeous day here in Oakland, California. We're getting you ready for A's and the Rangers. Only 22 games left. We're going to have Steve Berman from The Athletic at 4.15. The great Steve Vucinich, we will honor him at 4.30. And David Force, the general manager, stops by every Friday at 5 o'clock. But if we talk about Ricky Henderson Field and Ricky's the greatest leadoff hitter of all time, we're going to lead off with the president, Dave Cavill joining us here on the field. A's cast live. Doesn't get any better. How good is this day today? I'm telling you, this is as good as it gets. Down here on the field, the sun is out. We're getting ready for a three-game homestand, and, and we're in a pennant race. So let's make this thing happen. It's like it's, it's so hard to keep up. Like you're always looking over at the scoreboard, and now, you know, Houston's come back to the pack. The A's have won two games. Red Sox got major issues with COVID. Yankees are playing horrible. Blue Jays are hot. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's a, it's a toss-up. Yeah. I mean, it's a toss-up, and I think every day is another adventure. And we just got to obviously take care of our own games and uh, see what happens. But I feel good about where we are, and it's an exciting time for the franchise. I mean, when you think about what this team has been through this year and, and you know, knowing what Bob has had to deal with, it just really shows after, you know, we went through that 60-game quick thing, we now remember again what 162 was like. You, you get exposed, and there's times where you see your strengths. It's just it's crazy when you play this many games. Well, and that's why it's great having a guy like Bob Melvin as our skipper because I think he can keep the even keel to get through the ups and the downs. And certainly with riding the wave this year, we have had a lot of ups and downs. And so we just have to finish strong, focus on you know winning the games that we definitely should win, you know, beating teams like, you know, the Texas Rangers and just picking up, you know, actually room in the standing. So that's where things are right now. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed here in the second half and ever since we picked up Starling Marte kind of reminds us, like, you and I have watched baseball a long time, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. It, it kind of reminds I mean, he's kind of like Ricky Henderson or it's like a Tim Raines. It's fun kind of seeing old school baseball again. It's so dynamic to see how he can change the game. One player, his speed is just so dangerous. And you could see it the other day where he gets on and the next thing you know, a couple wild pitches, stolen base. And he's he's his home, you know. It's like he's like it's like incredible. Like they had that pickoff attempt, and the next thing you know, the guys are scoring. It's just unbelievable to watch that, and the fans really get behind it. It's super fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've gotten so used to walks, home runs, and strikeouts. He's just very refreshing, and so is is Jay Hay and Jan Gomes. I mean, a guy that you bring in, incredible, who has that great experience as. I mean, you have to be proud of the organization, what you guys did at the deadline. Oh, I think David and Billy did a tremendous job of bringing some new energy, bringing some folks in who have experience, including postseason experience, and they made an immediate impact. And I think, you know, that's really a credit to them and 
really all the moves they made right at the end there to, to put that together. And I get the calls all the time from the fans, and they're complaining, but I'm, I'm like, listen, management and John Fisher took on money. Yes. They made the commitment. Yes. Can you speak to that? Because I, I, I get hammered well, all the time. Well, I mean, time. I think the thing that people need to remember is that, you know, we feel like we're in a window to compete, and, you know, we are spending at the highest level we ever have um, as a franchise in our history, you know, and I think, you know, while it's not at the same as the Dodgers or something like that, we have made the necessary investments, especially at the trade deadline, um, to try to put ourselves in as strong a position as possible. And I, I, every once in a while, run into Mr. Fisher at the ballpark. People really need to understand he loves owning this franchise. Yeah, and loves baseball. And, you know, I've been working with John for over 10 years, and, you know, we have a lot of great things we've worked on together, whether it's the soccer stadium in San Jose, PayPal Park, and the Quakes, and obviously everything that we've done here. Uh, it's been very exciting, and, and, you know, we have some bright, bright, days ahead of us and a bright future and we just have to take it day to day to get there how much does winning on the field help with what you're trying to do off the field oh it, it matters in a major way and you know I think having that energy of winning the games and being a contender and showing what a winning franchise means to a community to build esteem quality of life bring people together super important now, I, I wanted to start out with baseball because right? every single time people talk to you, they want to go directly to the stadium. But still, we're a, we're a baseball show, and it's about this team, and it's about getting to the postseason. Uh, do you want to start here, Oakland, Bay Area? You want to start Vegas? Where well, do you we got start? parallel paths, so we can yeah. start on either path. You know. Okay, so where are, we, where are we with Oakland, Alameda, County? Where are we with these two? Well, there's a lot of processes, nine or ten, that are going on here in Oakland. Um, to get the ballpark approved and get us to the point where we can put a shovel in the ground. That includes everything from, you know, um, design guidelines and planning documents. We had our big meeting of the design review board this last week, and so that was an important step to get through the planning commission. We have the environmental impact report. We have the Bay Conservation and Development Commission. So all these processes are going on, and we're investing time and effort and meetings every week to make that happen. But the one that we're still a part on is really the economic terms with the city. And we're kind of taking a wait-and-see approach to see if the county is going to join the deal or not. That's a big unknown. The county sent a couple letters indicating they are not. And that would be very detrimental and difficult for us to make this all work if they stayed on the sidelines. What, what, what did it mean when they said they're not going to vote? Well, I mean, that's if they don't take a vote and they don't indicate they want to do it, I mean, that's basically another way of saying no. So, you know, not having them participating or active in – making it work, I think is a concern because the city's proposal to us, the one that, you know, we didn't necessarily agree with, it, it really depends on the county. Without the county, the thing kind of collapses. And so not having the county solidly behind it, you know, is, is cause for concern. Well, I can tell you, the, you know, the details are so above my pay grade, right? And, 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 you know, reading all this stuff, but you'll have people that will say, Hey, the city's basically agreed to everything you want. Is that true? No, we, we are still apart. You know, I, I've heard that in the me media, and I've, I've tried to address it when I can. There are still major gaps on things like the offsite infrastructure, some of the community benefits um, that, that, that don't work right now and that are very different from what we proposed. But I think the biggest one is this, whether or not the county participates or not. You know, there was a way we set it up where the county didn't need to participate, but the city didn't want to go that direction. So we're really taking a wait-and-see approach to see if the county will jump on board or not. We're disappointed that they're obviously not voting in 
September, as they said, but maybe they could vote in October. I don't know. I mean, we're waiting to see. That's interesting. So you had a plan that was just A's and City. A's and City, exactly. No county. City went, no, no, we've always done business with these guys. We want the county back in. Yeah, and I think the county and the city have a tortured relationship. I mean, it's like, I mean, it feels like a movie, you know, like all the ups and downs that they've had and the JPA and the other sports teams and the deals that went bad. And, and, you know, our deal is just so different. You know, we're, we're paying for everything. We're paying for the stadium. We're paying for the infrastructure. All we're saying is, hey, some of the tax revenue that our project generates can be used to pay us back. That's really what we're trying to do here. And it's something that's been done in a lot of their projects, including Mission Bay, where the Giants you know, play down in that area, and the Warriors. And we're just hoping that we can take those other projects and their model and port it over here to Oakland. You know, and, and you got to remember that we're one of 30 teams. In the end, there's the parent company that is Major League Baseball. That's right. That's right. You've got to report back to them. What do they think about the progress here? Well, I think the biggest challenge in Oakland has always been the timeline. You know, it's like we've spent, you know, it's almost five years since I started as team president, almost four years just working. Ex- five years? Yes, almost wow. four years exclusively on Howard after the Laney project fell through. And so that's a long time to not have had a definitive vote. And we've invested, obviously, countless hours and hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, all our time and, and effort to get to this point. And we haven't given up. We're still fighting as hard as we can to do it. But we need to get answers and no. Because if not, we can't spend another five years just waiting to see if it can get approved. We cannot let the process be the product. You know, it's, and it's almost like people kind of forget about the history of what's been going on. And as someone who covered the Raiders, covered the Warriors, and, of course, been covering the A's for a long time, I know what Rick Welts tri- didn't do here. Mm-hmm. I know what Mark Bedane didn't do here. Mm-hmm. So whatever the media tries to spin – there's no question you have spent more time trying to stay in Oakland and get a ballpark in Oakland than the Warriors or the Raiders ever did. Well, I mean, we've, we've sincerely tried in every possible way. You know, my mandate when I came here, my first press conference almost five years ago was, hey, we see Oakland as a strength. We're going to do everything we can to get a, a ballpark approved in an urban downtown location. And that's why we originally tried the Laney site. That was rejected. We pivoted to the site that mayor wanted, that the city wanted on the waterfront, and we've been fighting tooth and nail to pull that off. And the vision is incredible. We're talking about an incredible waterfront ballpark, a rooftop park, you know, 3,000 units of housing. How much do we need housing in the Bay Area? Kind of like a lot. You know, a whole basically ballpark village down there reimagining the waterfront. What a positive thing. And so we just need to do everything we can to keep the pressure on to get that to approval and if we can't get to an approval, well, that's kind of their, their way of saying no. You know, that's the thing. Like, going sideways is not really an option anymore because we're really running out of time here at the Coliseum. Yeah, I think where our offices are down there, and I think about the great fan fests. We've Fabulous. Had, they were incredible. incredible. I mean, you're yeah, standing, the backdrop. You're yes. standing on the stage, County. and there's thousands yes. of people. You're yes. like, this is – and the cranes. And you're that's like, the money shot. It's, like it's, a no, money. it's a no-brainer. I know. I know. And we had 30,000 people there, and they all got in and out fine. You know, all the concerns about traffic and parking yes. and transportation and, and railroad and everything. And that was before we even invested all the infrastructure. So, like, I know that area can work. You've seen it in other areas like downtown San Francisco with, with uh, the Giants. And it's all about the will to get to a yes and to get the project approved. And that's what we're fighting for. How do you feel right now about whether you can get it done or not? It's hard to say. You know, I continue to, you know, push as hard as I can to, to – 
you know, put all the resources in place and get to a positive vote. I think we really need to see a definitive vote by the end of the year. You know, like, obviously, it's nice that they even voted on it. It wasn't what we wanted, but they did take a non-binding vote. But we need a vote that's binding. It's easy to take a non-binding vote. Like, we have put our proposal out there almost three years ago. Yeah, there's so, a difference so. between Dayton and marriage. Yes, exactly. We all know that. We all know that. So what I'm, what I'm saying, you know, as a guy who's been married 20 years, I understand that. So I think what we need to do is make sure we get to that definitive vote. And everything is there to get there. It's about whether or not there's the political will and the courage to call the question and to put it in front of the council and hopefully get a yes. And I say on the postgame show all the time, and, you know, people, once again, they want to forget what's happened recently. I worked for the Raiders. Mm-hmm. I lost money when they left. Yep. I lost my TV gig. Yep. I lost yep. my radio gig. Yep. But I lived that. And I remember, and, and no one took more phone calls on the radio than I did about the subject. Yeah, exactly. And everybody poo-pooed Vegas. Everybody said smaller markets, not going to work. Da-da. And it's happening again. The exact same things yeah. from the media in the Bay Area is happening again. It's like you're repeating yourself. Well, I mean, there's obviously on the other parallel path in, in southern Nevada, there's a tremendous amount of support for a major league baseball team down there. You know, you have the elected leaders who are pushing very hard um, in the same way they did with the Raiders to see if it's possible. We've spent a great deal of time. We've spent, you know, had five trips down there already. We have a sixth trip planned for next week. Um, we're getting, you know, the sites, our arms around what could be a final couple sites. And so a lot of progress is being made very quickly um, because of the different development environment in Las Vegas as opposed to California. And so even though we haven't spent five years down there, we've made a lot of progress and we're seeing a lot of positive results. And so, you know, that's an important step part of the process because we need to know what options we have as a franchise. We cannot continue to play here at the Oakland Alameda Coliseum. This place is 10 years past its useful life. We only have a lease through 2024. We have to find a solution to this 20-year saga. And what I've also been saying on the postgame show is no matter what, this is a win for Vegas because you guys in Major League Baseball are exploring this market. So if the A's do stay here in Oakland, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of investigations, and baseball baseball is going to be in Las Vegas. Wouldn't you? I think all the sports eventually will be there. I mean, it's just there's 42 million tourists. You know, it's become kind of a sports and entertainment mecca, you know, in the entire world. And so I think you will eventually see that. Um, the timing of those things is obviously unknown and how the A's play into that is an unknown too. But, you know, we remain committed to having the two parallel paths going to, you know, respecting the league's decision that, you know, we really need to get options as a franchise because we cannot have a major league team without a major league stadium. And we are desperately close to that reality. What's it like dealing with the people in Las Vegas, the powers that be? Well, I mean, everyone's been very gracious and open to considering a Major League Baseball team and the A's relocating. You know, we're spending a lot of time on market feasibility as well as venue selection. Those have been kind of the two key things. We've looked at a lot of different sites. We've met with the landowners. We've met with a lot of partners like the resort owners, like you know, the big casinos, to understand the local market, the mix of locals versus tourists, understanding the different locations, traffic, parking, other events you could host at the venue, all these things are important to making a big decision, uh, but a lot of progress is being made and continues to be made. But yet, the San Francisco Chronicle, and you can see it on sfgate.com, is going to tell you, we've investigated it, and no one knows anything, and no one's, you know. It's like, why? 
Well, I mean, we've always struggled with the SF-based media. You know, obviously they have a different agenda than Oakland and the East Bay. Um, ever since the Tri you know, Oakland Tribune kind of ceased to exist, there isn't really a media market in the East Bay. And because of that, since and this, I dealt with this in San Jose, too, when I had yeah. the earthquakes. Um, you really have everything coming out of San Francisco. So the, everything is kind of biased to that direction. And that means some of these satellite entities, and they're not exactly satellites. San Jose has a million people. Oakland and the East Bay is like two and a half million people. They don't necessarily get as much focus as the city. And I think that's a real challenge for us as we've tried to advance this project and get it get it approved. Yeah, the Merck's not what it used to be. No, it's, I mean, that's just owned by a bunch of private equity or whatever. You know, they've really gutted their operation, and they're not what they used to be. You know, that used to be one of the best when Knight Ritter had it, and they had the big thing down in San Jose. That was one of the best publications in the country. At what point is it just exhausting? Well, I never feel that way. You know, for me, it's energizing to try to solve all the problems. I'd be, so I'd I don't be feel that way. Like, no, are no. you kidding me? No, that's that's actually not. I mean, I like the really complicated things and trying to solve them. So, no, that's that's really not something. I don't know. It's just kind of my my character and who I am. But by the same token, I really feel an obligation to our fans, to our players, to the other teams in the league, to actually bring this to some type of resolution. We cannot continue to play here as is. And people have seen this with the inability to invest long-term in our players, not having the revenue streams that other teams have, not having the player amenities that other facilities have. We have got to move into the 21st century. Yes. And it has got to happen as soon as possible. There is an urgency. And I wake up every day just with that focus. And that's why we have these two options, you know, Oakland and Las Vegas, to see where we can get to as quickly as possible. On another note, and we'll end on this. Last night, uh, an incredible football game, and Tom Brady's 44 and still playing. But are you excited about your Cleveland Browns? Absolutely. I was just talking to Bassett Baker? about it. I mean, I'm only a little worried. Like, whenever the expectations are high for the Browns, <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it blows up for us. So I'm like, oh, I'm a little cautious. But, I mean, the way the team has so much talent and so many pieces and Chubb and Hunt and, and Baker, I think, is an incredible leader. As someone, our family's had season tickets to the Browns since 46, so we're very hopeful that we can have a Super Bowl season. Yeah, it used to be Bernie Kosar's not walking through that door. No, no, no. <laughs> Brian Sight, baby. Brian Sight. Don't remember. He's a California guy. I love at Brian Sight. At a San Diego State. Yes. Um, yes. You know, it's so interesting. It's that the Browns, it's like, it's, it's really like so many people in the NFL want to see you guys take down the Steelers. Oh, they, including me. Right? <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's like there, there is a buzz. When you start seeing Brown stuff oh, yeah. around the country, it's kind of like you, you, your franchise is kind of a chic franchise right now. I never thought I'd hear that. Right? <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, I think we've played of our last 16 home openers or, you know, opening games. We have one tie and 15 losses. So we, we do not have a good track record. So this would be a new era. So we're going into a new zone, which is not a bad thing. Hey, when you got a quarterback that's got swagger, you're in every game. I agree. It matters. It, so. it matters big time. Well, hey, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I know you got a lot going on. And once again, we always thank you for, for everything you guys do for us. Uh, greatest job I've ever had and to be able to – and even like Tony La Russa comes over and goes, Fabulous. Wow, this is amazing. Like, we're the only team in baseball that does this, we're, a live show from the field. We're breaking new ground, and you're making it happen, Tony. You're, you're the great best. Job. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live.
This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. A's Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, if you want to you want to talk about being an A's legend, a guy that has been here since day 1 and he's retiring and I told him, "You're going to go in the Hall of Fame right away." And that's what's happening. So a new Hall of Famer, Steve Vucinich, joins us here on A's Cast Live once again. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for asking. This franchise, you know, we joked you never needed a resume because you've been with this franchise forever. When they came out with the, they're going to put you in the Hall of Fame, what, what, what did that mean? You know, what's funny is I was told to come out to the parking lot and my daughter and my wife were there. And as Dieter was started to tell me about that, my daughter taped the whole thing and threw it on Facebook and Twitter. And, and it was so nice to hear that, what Dieter was saying. But until I watched the video of it, it didn't really hit home until then. And, you know, I always thought that maybe there's a chance a few years down the road, but never thought in the first year of retirement that I'd be going in and going in with three of my favorite people of all time, Sal Bando, Joe Rudy, and Eric Chavez. And one of the, one of the guys I say is one of the, best people I've ever met in my entire life and that would be Keith Lippman who I've known since he was a player in our system a minor league manager uh, and also director of minor leagues for so many years so I'm 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 totally psyched about the whole thing and, and sometimes I wonder if I'm deserving of it you're gonna have to write a speech yeah working on it <laughs> I've, got, I've got all i've got all until whenever it is so i tell them don't do it in july because i'm going to alaska and you're not gonna get me off that trip and then we're gonna have a pregame ceremony for you on september 26 against the astros at 107 which should be a very highly attended game uh that's gonna be a lot of fun yeah i'm uh, nervous about that i really am i don't know what's in store um i have uh they said they just need me on the field, and I said I need to speak for a minute or two, and they said that's fine, and uh, you'll see what happens. Like when I see what happens, I want to make sure the fans are thanked by me because they have been right on. I walked through this, the stands yesterday just on the concourse, and there weren't that many people here, but fans kept coming up to me thanking, me thanking me for what I've done, and I thought I was a war hero in Iraq or Afghanistan is the same line they use for servicemen, but uh uh, it's the fans have been great for me over the years. That's pretty hilarious. Like, how many World Series games have you won? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just been there to watch the good guys win them. And you've been getting a ton of TV time. It's been like, like you always got to watch out what you're doing down the dugout because they got the camera on you all the time. Well, I, I'm guessing it's in the non-exciting part of the stadium uh, game, but uh, uh, yeah, you always have to be careful. We know that. We've been told that don't ever pick your nose. You never know when it'll be on there. Don't, uh, I, I guess from Toronto, somebody said it looked like I was sleeping. I said, no, I was illegally keeping my cell phone on my lap looking for something. And I, so I kept looking down. And they said my head looked like I was bobbing and I was sleeping. <laughs> and that has never happened. 
you know, it, it's it's the job has changed over the years because the demand is so different. When I think about equipment and I think about uniforms, and you got like, you know, you, years ago you had a white one, you had a gray one. It was home, it was road. Now, I mean, it's Father's Day, Mother's Day, Fourth of July. It's you know what a Pokemon Day. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just talk about how. All the ordering, all the equipment, the stores, the travel, how everything has just really changed. Well, uh, first of all, we used to have just white and gray, and I'm talking about from the mid-80s up until about 94 or 95, we brought in the dark green as an alternate. And then we added the gold for a while, and that gave us four, and then we went to the Kelly green, that gave us five. We did that a few years ago, and then eliminated the gold, and next year we might eliminate the dark green. <clears throat> and so we'll be at, be at three jerseys. So everybody gets two jerseys right off the start. They're all custom uh, made, whether it be sleeve length, body length, tightness, whatever. And so um, you got three hats, the BP, the home, the road, and then you've got the Kelly, so that's a fourth one. So it's quite a bit, and it's changed a lot because of uh, we have more turnover in our roster than we did 25, 40 years ago. Uh, so you got more players, you have to be ready for more. Uh, we have a good company to stand by. does emergency lettering for us, even on a Saturday or Sunday. I'll never forget the Jeff Samarja trade uh, was made on 4th of July, July weekend, of course. And so we had a guy come in and do all the lettering. And I made the guy a hero because I tweeted his picture holding up the jerseys because all the fans were asking, what number is Hamill's going to be? What number is Samarja going to be? And so I answered it that way. I let the <coughs> this guy get 10,000 views. So it's funny. <laughs> Yeah, because that's not, I mean, a guy gets sent up out of nowhere, especially when you're on the road. I mean, I understand when it's at home, but let's just take me through it. Like, next, you know, Billy Bean or David Force calls and says, we're bringing up this guy. He's never been on the big club, and you're in, like, Cleveland. Well, <clears throat> for guys that are on a 40-man roster, you always have a jersey. And then if you've got in spring training a guy that's not on a 40-man roster, but he's a veteran and he has a chance of getting recalled, which would have been a case for Jed Lowry if he didn't make the team on opening day, uh, he would have been in that situation. So we've got the jerseys ready. And, and I know what numbers are available, what numbers some of those guys wore in spring training. A lot of, a lot of those guys are in the 60s and the 70s. But they get recalled. Um, and uh, if I don't have a jersey, first thing I do is hopefully I know in a day in advance and I'll pull blank jerseys, and then we've got two size letters in all colors. We have a thin and a thick. The thin is for uh, last names of eight or more letters. The thick are for last names or seven or fewer letters. So there's a science to all this, too. Um, See, uh, people don't know this. <laughs> they think these guys just show up and you got a jersey and you walk out and start playing. This is not bewitched. I'm not twitching <laughs> my nose and all of a sudden they appear. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, got that, and you got pants, and uh, and I always order extra pants in spring training because those are so customized these days. So whether it's short pattern, long pattern, what waist, what size leg, do the guys have rubber bands on the bottom, do they leave them open bottom, all these different customizations. And the jerseys are customized too with, like I said, sleeve length, tightness. Some of the guys like a tight sleeve. and shows their gut, make it a gun show, we tease them. And... Uh, so I'll get the jerseys lettered up, send out a sample to the local company that each team uses, and get them back. And we've never, ever in my lifetime got sent a player out without a name on the back once we started having names on the back. When you think about the players, you know, from 
the A's getting here in the 60s. You had the 70s and the great teams. Then here comes the 80s, Billy Martin. Then you got a team that was just a powerhouse, and they were rock stars in the late 80s. And then through the 90s. and the, How have players changed, and how are they still kind of the same? Well, I, I think the players are better conditioned now. With the compensation they receive, they don't need to have off-season jobs. And that was the case back in the 60s and the early 70s. I mean, 1971, I'll never forget. I was in college, and I got a, a part-time job at J.C. Penney's in Hayward, Southland, working in the sporting goods department. And I ran into Raleigh Fingers. He said, I need a job. So I told our guys there, and next thing I know, he's a stock boy at the J.C. Penney's. Raleigh the, Fingers. At the Fremont Hub in Fremont. <laughs> And we had just won a division, so his full share was $7,000, but it wasn't enough to sustain through the winter, so he needed a job. Sal Bando used to work for Visa. Joe Rudy had a few things going until they really started making money. Nowadays, you get a guy comes up for one month of the season, and that one month is maybe $130,000, so, uh, or maybe one hundred twenty, and and so they, I'd say they're above the line. They're, they don't need to work during the winter, so they work out. They're better conditioned. Some of the guys that have big money have their own batting cage in their in their house, their winter off-season home. Uh, so that's changed. Like I said, a better condition. Now, uh, as far as attitudes and everything, it's pretty much the same. Uh, sometimes some of these guys listen to their agents too much instead of listening to coaches and stuff, and they have their own workout partners or a personal hitting coach or whatever, which is fine to a point, but there's got to be communication between those people and our staff too. So that's changed a little bit. Again, that's that's because of the money. They've got the money to be able to pay those guys, and good for them. Um, Marvin Miller, there's a reason why he went into the Hall of Fame. That's right. Marvin Miller has helped everybody in the game. He is, he saw that uh, had a vision for uh, free agent signing, and that would stir more talk during the winter, after the winter meetings and trades and things like that. And he was so pro player, and they got noticed and. Look where the game has evolved to now in tennis. I mean, let's go back two years ago where we were, and don't count last year or this year, but the game has evolved. It's been more popular than ever. Uh, I, I hear some old-timers say they don't like the extra inning rule. Well, they didn't ever have to stay here at 18, 19 innings Thank until 1 a.m. Thank you very much. Thank you very <laughs> I get people calling me up, that's not baseball. Well, if you think I want to be – I mean, I've been on the air like at 2.30 in the morning. Are you, are you telling me I don't want to get out of here? Exactly right. Seriously. And the thing is, is the NBA, NC2A, and, and in the NFL, they've made more rule changes than baseball ever thought of. So this game is more of the same that it was in the 1920s. That's one of the few changes. And the DH is another change. But, I mean, if I was to change anything, I'd say let's go to the 10th inning and do a regular, then throw the runner on second base in the 11th or 12th. I think as was originally proposed until last year, and they decided to do it in the 10th inning. Yeah, I'd put him on third. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's the one city you're going to miss the most going to? New York. New York is a city in itself. It's uh, I, and the reason I say New York is I won't go there as often. I love Seattle. I think Seattle is a wonderful town. And in my trip next summer, planning, I'm already going to plan on spending a couple of days in Seattle. Do some of the things that you can't do. There's not enough time during the baseball season to do. But uh, New York, I love the theater, and we'd always go back in New York during the winter anyway. Maybe spend five days, go to three shows, and 
and do the things. The funny thing that I did in New York, one winter we did, we were there between Christmas and New Year's. We had nothing to do that day. Nothing. Nothing planned. My wife, daughter, and I. I said, you know what I want to do? I want to take that four train past Yankee Stadium because to me, that's where the end of the world was in New York. I want to see what's past. <laughs> so we rode the number four train to the end, which went, goes right in the middle of Fordham University, which I didn't know. And there's beautiful areas of the Bronx. It's not what you see around Yankee Stadium. So those are the kind of things that, that I will do differently and miss about certain areas. But uh, uh, there's more out there than just baseball. Yeah, our, our last family trip, right before I joined you guys in Vegas, we're in New York, and my kids are actresses, so I took them to Hamilton, Wicked. Little did we know COVID is raging through New York at the time and all the Ubers and trains. Luckily, we didn't get it, but wow. I mean, yeah, that was uh, – that. Uh, now you look back on it because we were at D.C. and Philly, and you're sure. just thinking about how crazy that was. But it'll be nice to get back to traveling. What, 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 we'll end on this. What do you think you're going to miss the most? The interaction, people like you, friends of mine that are in the media, maybe longtime writers, Baseball Writers Association, New York guys, Boston guys, Peter Abraham. I used to love Nick Cafardo. And Peter Gammons is a good friend of mine. He's, he's dropped my name in columns and on TV for years. And uh, so I'm going to miss not just the media, but the interaction with uh, either other clubs. I'll see a bunch of my uh, compatriots at the winter meetings this year, but I don't know if I'll ever see the guys from Baltimore again. And I don't know if I'll see the guys from Detroit and Cleveland. I said no disrespect to you guys when I left there last week, but I said this is not a vacation destination for me. So <laughs> I might see you guys on the road somewhere, but not in Cleveland and not in Detroit. So And it's been cool to be honored by everybody, right, all these it, it, teams? It really is. You know what? Um, I've got the, the, the autographed jersey at home plate by the Yankees, and Aaron Boone wrote something special on it. Boston came in and gave me a piece of the, the Fenway uh, scoreboard number 54 for my number 54 years and of course Sergio Romo thought it was because of him but uh, it was autographed and that was very touching a couple of places they gave me wine a couple of places gave me cigars but one of the things that that means the most to me and I will give the same notation at at our winter meetings is I've done a lot for our equipment manager clubhouse manager association we started on a park bench in in San Diego in the winter meetings in 1985 and a couple of the guys that came through and have talked to me and as I'm ending my career in baseball said, we really appreciate what you've done for our Equipment Managers Association and getting it noticed and getting it recognized by Major League Baseball because they never recognized us before. And that, to me, it means to me as, as much as that. And then the legacy that I have with great guys that have worked for me in the clubhouse, not only the guys that are taking over for me, but I've got do uh, one doctor, I've got a couple lawyers, guys that are masters in taxation, guys that have moved on. My bat boy in, in 2002 was Nick Crawl, who was the current general manager of the Cincinnati Reds. So that that pleases me the most of, of, of all my accomplishments. You got like the Bill Walsh tree. I like to think that because <laughs> we have spread out. Well, it, it's, it, you know, the great thing is, is, we're not saying goodbye because we'll have spring training. Well, hopefully we'll have spring training next year. And uh, we'll be doing this. We'll go back into that one of those rooms, and, and we'll do this again. But, you know, I just, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to get you again before the end of the season. Hopefully we'll have the playoffs. But you know what you've meant to me in my career and what you've meant to this show. And I, we've had some epic interviews. Well, I remember we had one in Tokyo that was awesome. And just uh, we, we've – 
we've had a few cocktails together, like in Tokyo or Arizona, and you've been a very good friend. Well, thanks, and I have no aspirations to take your place, so you don't have to worry. Well, I'm going to come down and play. Why don't we play golf? <laughs> we can do that. We can play golf. You're not going to have to work, and now we can just I can, I can bolt out, and we'll play golf. Uh, fine with me. All right, buddy. Be well. Thank you very much. Always enjoy and, it. And, by the way, these the stuff you've been doing with Vince is priceless. It's fun. It's it's a lot of fun to reminisce, and he, he gives me a little schedule of what we're going to talk about, and I have to rack my brain because there's so much in it that I have to bring out a few of those things. Well, it's going to help you write the book. There you go. You are the best. All right. Thanks, guys. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from Ricky Henderson Field, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, what's so interesting is he once was the Bay Area sports guy. Steve Berman's with us now from The Athletic. You went from being the chic guy to now your mainstream media i totally sold out obviously totally yeah i was used to be indie and now i work for the man yeah remember those days where you're breaking stories everyone's like who the hell is this guy yeah i broke the story that ralph barbieri got fired from knbr and my site broke because the traffic was too high for like it broke for like two hours and that was the days of oh gosh you know maybe we should pay a little bit more for a good server because you know just doing it by ourselves and uh you know trying to make some money here and there off of advertising, but advertising money doesn't really exist anymore for bloggers. So I'm glad I'm where I'm at right now at The Athletic. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, we just had Eno on the program. Eno just walked by. We'd laugh that he has a beer named after him now. Sticky stuff. But um, the cool thing is, because, you know, all these years being in radio, we had all these consultants who were coming at us going shorter, shorter. The fans just want to hear you. Less is more. And what we have discovered through podcast, through streaming, and still through radio, and think about now in journalism, like The Athletic, if you do it right, people do want a longer story. They do want more information. And I think that's what you guys do at The Athletic, and I think it's fabulous. I think so, too. And I think another thing that's similar between what you guys do here, and I listen all the time because great resource for covering the A's, is you guys actually have fan interaction as well. And a lot of times, I'm sure you heard in radio, no callers. We yeah, don't want the callers in there, you know. But the callers actually give some juice to a show a lot of the time. i actually written in a media column that you need to start bringing some more of that back. And on The Athletic, there's actually comments under the stories and I get ideas a lot of times from the commenters. It's, you know, someone uh, today when I wrote about Chris Bassett, you know, uh, coming back and throwing off flat ground yesterday, someone in the comments this morning wrote, hey, could he be the closer? Then Melvin today before the game say, is saying that he's probably going to be a starter, maybe go three innings, that, that kind of thing. That's more of a possibility. But still sort of an interesting idea that I hadn't thought of before. You know, I, I know you know this, but we went over 3 million downloads on Ace Cast. And the, and, and the one product of A's cast that's leading the world is the A's Clubhouse show, my postgame show. Of because course. people want to hear the interaction with the fans. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was on a group chat with a bunch of A's fans and pretty tough loss uh, recently. I think it might have been against... Toronto might have been against someone else. There's been a lot of those lately. And someone was like, yeah, hey, we got to you know, check out the clubhouse show. Fans are super pissed on this. Yeah. So. <laughs> and someone was like, hey, how do I call in on there? Because they wanted to complain about something too. So it's definitely good or bad. After, after a good win, kind of want to rejoice and hear about what people think about it. But also after, you know, a you know, questionable decision or a bad play or a bad pitching outing, people like to vent too. You know, I was just, you know, thinking about Chris Bassett. We're just all thankful he's okay and just whatever he can give you. If it's an inning, 
if it's six, in- I mean, whatever it is, when you go through something like that, that's so gruesome and surgery and plastic surgery and everything. Yep. So I, I, I know Bob, I understand how Bob feels, right? It's like, God, if I can get him out there for one, two, three, whatever it is, just to get another quality arm because – what we've been seeing down in that bullpen is no bueno. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's been a little bit rough other than Chafin and Romo on occasion. It's It's been a little bit tough. Uh, it, today, I think, it sort of seemed like there was a little bit even more optimism than yesterday about Bassett. It was really interesting, actually, uh, about an hour and a half ago or so. You know, some of the guys are playing hacky sack. Some of the pitchers are kicking a soccer ball. And then Bassett and Manaya come out with a football. And I thought, oh, they're just messing around, same old kind of horsing around stuff that you always see. And then, you know, and they're running patterns, and Bassett was throwing it like 40 yards. And Deakman's got, Deakman and Romo got good th- football throwing skills, actually. Uh, Chafin, not so much. Not a good football thrower, better baseball thrower. But then uh, before the game, Melvin told us that that was actually by design – the trainers came up with the idea to test out Bassett's peripheral vision with a football because it's bigger because tomorrow he's going to do PFPs as long as, along with his bullpen. So before he starts running around and catching a baseball, they want to make sure that he can actually handle a football and the peripheral vision looked fine. He looked like he was having fun out there. That's interesting. I, I know, like, when I pitched in college, we always threw the football because it strengthens your shoulder. Yep. But that's interesting because they're trying – that's a visual thing. Yep. Because that's kind of – I mean – that's got to be you – know, sometimes you got to protect athletes from themselves. Yes. Right? And I wouldn't even think about that like, hey, we got to make sure this guy's vision's okay. Yeah, exactly. Especially a guy like Bassett who's already, like, chomping at the bit saying, I only want to throw one bullpen and just throw me out there. I'm sure that if you asked him, he would say, I'd like to start and go seven innings right now. My body's fine. And actually, the way he was running around, it looked like nothing had happened to him. And he said – Yesterday, hey, you know, they told David Forrest, hey, my, my face is not what I pitch with, you know, so don't worry about my face. He's still dealing with nerve damage that's going to be lasting probably for a few months after the surgery, but he doesn't care. He just wants to go out there and pitch, and it seems like arm-wise he looks pretty healthy, and we'll see him uh, pitch on the, on the mound uh, tomorrow, like 20 pitches or so, and do some PFPs, and I don't know how quickly they're going to bring him back, but, you know, the based on what Bob Melvin's been saying, it's sort of seemed like you're getting a little bit more optimism every single day with them. First it was, eh, maybe he comes back. Oh, maybe he's a reliever. And then today, maybe he's a starter. You know, you look out at the scoreboard right now, and as much as we talked about how bad Baltimore is, Baltimore has been coming up huge for the A's. <laughs> they really right? have. They took it to the <laughs> Yankees. They're now leading Toronto. And whenever you think about how dire it was, oh, the A's have won 50, they've lost 15 of their last 23, you start looking up and you're like, Astros have lost, Red Sox have lost. I mean, it, nobody wants to run away with anything in the American League, and there's 22 games to go. Yeah, it's all bunched up right now, and the A's look dead in the water on Tuesday. I mean, that game, they look lifeless against the White Sox, and you're thinking, okay, well, Montas is almost like a sure win at this point. But then the next day, you know, a lefty going up against the White Sox, they usually mash lefties. And maybe, you know, they, they don't hit Ronaldo Lopez all that well. Then Manaya goes out and shoves and has one of his best games of the year right after the one in Toronto, where which ended unfortunately, but uh, we won't talk about that anymore. It's interesting. Yeah, the Yankees, they looked unbeatable. Then the A's beat them a couple times. They won on a slide of their own. So, yeah, I mean, the Red Sox, Chris Sale, they lost him today to COVID. So, all these teams have vulnerabilities, including the A's, but the A's can also go on a run just like any of the other teams. Yeah, I thought about it, you know, the other day going, there's no chance they catch the Astros. 
But wait a minute. The A's have won some. Astros have lost. You still got six games with them. Yep. Everything is still in play. Yeah, that last nine games of the year is going to be fun. Right? Yeah, the seven against Seattle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, you, you just never know. That's the thing about I was just talking to Eno before I came on here. You never know, though, just because baseball is weird. You know, it's not like the NBA where the best team is always going to rise up to the top pretty much 95% of the time, 99% of the time. In baseball, you think one thing about a team a week ago. I mean, what were we thinking about this team when they came out of Toronto? And then, you know, a couple losses here by the Yankees, a couple losses maybe here against Baltimore for the Blue Jays, and then the A's, if they start playing well against a team they should, you know, eat up on against the Rangers, then all of a sudden everything looks totally different again. Yeah, and then you think about, and I know you've covered the Giants too. I mean, they won today in Chicago, and you think L.A. or San Francisco is going to win the division, and will one of them will be the top wild card. However it works out, San Diego's holding on. Then you got, like, Cincinnati and Philly. I mean, it's wild in the National League. Yeah, that, that whole deal of, like, you're either in as the NL West champ or you're playing – the Padres, the Reds, or the Phillies, like you said, that that's it's almost cruel, right? And someone actually asked Bob too before the game. You know, last year, you know, eight teams made the playoffs out of the American League. You know, in this year it's di- you know it's different. So you would be going like four teams for five spots instead of two teams for five spots, is the way it is right now for the wild card. Would you like to have that set up? And Melvin started laughing. He's like, yeah, of course I would like to have that set up right now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> All the fans would, too. Yeah. It was, so, it was so good last year, but, you know, it is what it is. Getting back to your media days and covering the Bay Area media, it's kind of getting sad. It's really changing as someone that's been in sports radio forever since, you know, started in the 90s. Yeah. You know, looking at what terrestrial radio is becoming, AM radio, newspapers, I feel very blessed that I got got out on my my own terms and came to work for the franchise that I love. But I'm just really worried about where the business is going and how we as fans are going to get our sports information. It is difficult. uh, I think with it's really all about car technology for the radio side. The more that car, people start getting new cars and they're outfitted with either satellite or USB quick cables and they plug in their phone or just wireless where they can listen to you guys or listen to any podcast that they want, stuff that doesn't have as many commercials. I mean, KBR has a ridiculous amount of commercials. And so that nowadays with streaming, kids don't want to watch commercials. I mean, I have a six-year-old daughter. She doesn't want to watch any commercials at any time for anything. She's like, I, I'll watch YouTube. I don't want to watch broadcast television and so that's what you're seeing with the younger generation so terrestrial radio is definitely in trouble for for that reason it will stick around as long as enough people have cars that just have a radio and they don't want to go through the rigmarole of oh hook up my phone but that's good that's changing all the time you guys are seeing it too with you know as your listenership rises it's because people are like yeah, it's not really that hard to put on ace cast either you know on on this app or this app you know or look at this web page so it that part is tough and the newspapers like you mentioned that was where I started was newspapers. I was freelancing and covering like high school football and and lacrosse and baseball and basketball. And then back in 2008, the Barrier News Group, you know, the Mercury News and all those papers, they had a big buyout and cut a bunch of the stuff that I was doing too. I wasn't a full-time employee. I was doing it on the side. And I realized, 
okay, well, they just bought out half the staff, half the writers took a buyout. So maybe newspapers aren't really the way I mean, should really should be going. So that's why I started Barry, a sports guy, because I knew that the writing was on the wall for newspapers. So, And then the same thing with The Athletic. The Athletic has poached so many newspaper writers that got let go, and also from places like ESPN and Yahoo and Fox Sports. So, yeah, the media landscape's always changing, but the one good thing is that there's a lot more voices now with all the different podcasts that are out there, but not all of them are really essentially good voices. They just, it's so easy, you know, the barrier for entry is so low. But uh, it is fun that you guys get to do this, though, because you guys are kind of groundbreaking in terms of what you're doing. And, and I think that I'm surprised that other teams in the market haven't really followed this model yet. I think uh, it's, and maybe it's a it's thing where they have relationships with other stations that wouldn't like that to occur, but it They're just seems obvious. They're going to that long term because we have the best access to guest and to promote yeah. and to grow. Uh, and I think, you know, one thing that crushed me ever since I moved here in 1991 to go to San Jose State, I had the San Jose Mercury News. Yep. And then it, then it was just like two years ago, the Merc was making the writers have their stories in before the games were over. Yep. So if I woke up the next day and I go out to my driveway, which we all loved, and we got our paper and we came in, yep. yeah, I'm a dinosaur, I admit it. Oh, I grew up that way too. Right? And so there's no post-game story about who won with the A's, the Giants, the Warriors, the yep. Sharks. Well, why the hell am I buying the paper then? And I canceled my and – I, and I was like, you guys – and so many of my buddies did the same thing, whether it's – whether it's you know, I mean, the Oakland Tribune's not even around anymore. I nope. Mean, just, Sad. just a cool-looking building, and that's it. That's the only way we remember it. I grew up in Eureka, actually, and so we would get the paper delivered, the Chronicle sometimes, and you look at the, the scores of the night before, and it would just say N because it was a night game. So you don't even get a score, let alone a story. So, yeah, that, I think that everyone has gotten used to a lot of different ways that technology has helped. We didn't get to watch every game, every A's and Giants game on TV when we were kids. You know, there's a select few, right? Yeah. I mean, you remember Giants Vision back in the day where, like, they had to, you had to pay, like, 200 bucks to get, like, 30 games or something like that? You know, it, not every A's game was on. Now my every first, A's my, game is on. My first year at KMBR, whatever that was, like, 97, 98, there was only, like, and this is why radio had such power, because even the Giants being the monster, they only had, like, 90 games on television. Yep. And that's why KMBR did so well, because you had to listen to the radio to know what was going on with the game. Absolutely. Yeah, as a kid growing up, I, I would listen to the radio. I'd listen to Bill King and Hank Greenwald, because that was entertainment that you weren't getting on television. Television, well, we had like you know 20 channels, 30 channels or something like that. So you know, I'd watch ESPN and MTV as a kid, but I listened to a ton of baseball. Well, hey, thank you for everything you've done for us. We truly appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me on. I, I, like I said, guys are a great resource to follow the team, kind of hear what David Force is saying, hear what Dave Cavill is saying. It's a, it's a cool thing that you guys got going on here, so thanks for having me on. Well, hey, we'll do it again soon. Absolutely. The Bay Area sports guy <laughs> turned regular media. You would have never thought that. Do you want a break or you want to go to David? All right, we'll break. We got David Force, the general manager, coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. 
This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. David Forrest with us. Uh, I have to call him, so give me a second. He forgot to call in? Uh, I guess. We'll see. He's a little busy. Yeah, well. He's the general manager of a Major League Baseball team. He's not sitting here thinking about you, Cody. Uh, I, I saw him earlier, and he, he made a joke about, you know, are we on live right now? And, well, David, that, that joke failed. <laughs> well, it's interesting this time of the year when uh, you're running a Major League Baseball team, every decision is so magnified. I mean, you got 22 games left. You got a bunch of teams. You got a bunch of teams that you're chasing. And... I mean, this is it. And how you run the roster, how you run the team, it's a big deal. And David is with us. David, how are you? Tony, what's going on, man? Well, we're just excited. There's a lot of, you know, we're looking up and Toronto's losing. For Somehow Baltimore keeps beating everybody. And you look at the standings every single day, whether it's the division or the wild card, I know you're doing like we're doing. It changes every day. It does. There's a lot of a lot of teams involved in this wild card race, and sometimes they're playing each other. You don't know who to root for. Uh, I think we sort of simplified it and said we just we need to win, and uh, and realize we have no control over every everything else and, and until we play Seattle, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of dizzying to try and keep track of. Yeah, I was like you the other day, going, "Huh, Houston and Seattle. Who do I want to win this game?" But I got to think you guys still feel you're in it for the division still, right? Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely the case. We have six games left with Houston, so anything is possible. Um, certainly when you go through a weekend like we did with Toronto, you, you, know, you sort of take a step back and say, okay, you know, you gotta, we got to get ourselves right before we worry about anything else. So obviously the last two days against the White Sox is sort of it made us feel better about that, and we've got a stretch here where hopefully we can do some damage. But um, but yeah, until look until that division is decided, you're always always got your eye on that. You know, speaking of Toronto, isn't there just a point where you run into a hot team and you have to tip your cap to them? Uh, I yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> they, yeah, they what they ended up you know winning eight straight or something, or they're still they're still on a winning streak. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say right now. You, you obviously feel like you should have won the Friday night game, and then things kind of snowball after that. But um, yeah, they're look, they're playing well. They've their record has been way below their run differential all season long. So it, it's sort of it felt like it's only a matter of time until until they get into a mix with everybody else, and they sure they sure knocked down the door in the last week and a half. Well, what's interesting going down here on the field today is 
Sounds like Chris Bassett wants to start tonight. This guy wants to get back. <laughs> I mean, he wants to get back on the mound. I, I, you know, and I know there's a lot going on, just having surgery and everything. And I, I guess he was playing football out here earlier today just to see how his vision's working. Uh, what do you think you can truly expect from him? There's 22 games left. What do you think you can get out of him? I think it, you know, it remains to be seen. He, he still has a number of steps he needs to go through. So we'll see what, you know, what time is left. But he's going to throw off the mound tomorrow. That's the first step. He's got he's to take ground balls and do PFPs. He's got to see live hitters um, because he, he just he has to have that experience before he, you know, gets over that hurdle. So there's, there's still some check marks. And, um, you know, I, I'm hopeful he – he gets back and pitches. I, I don't think we have any sense yet of how many times it's going to be. Well, just to get him back, it, it, it's going to be fantastic. And talk about Frankie Montas. The growth that you've seen in him, to me, it's just not physical. I think so much of it is mental. He's always had the stuff. Just tell us what you've seen with Frankie. Yeah, you've seen it in, in kind of – over the last couple seasons because like you said the stuff has always been there but there's you know there's the mentality that it takes to go out there and dominate even even with incredible stuff and and um you know that that sort of swagger is what we've seen from him of late and he's definitely stepped up and we talked about when chris went down needing sean and, and frankie to step up and they've done exactly that i mean you know sean's put together pretty darn good back-to-back starts at this point and, and hopefully is over that little stretch that he had. But, but yeah, Frank, Frankie has always been a guy that we've known can go out there and dominate. And sometimes it doesn't, doesn't happen. Sometimes it's physical with him. Um, but he does, he does have the mentality when he's right to go out there and, and do what he's been doing the last, you know, it's shoot. It's a long stretch now, a couple months. Yeah, it's been very impressive, and uh, Sean Manaya's last couple outings have been impressive. It's what you need at this time of the year because we talk about all the time, whether it's this show or the clubhouse show, how every game feels like a playoff game, 22 games left. Do you get that sense that every every single game from here on out is a playoff game? Uh, I do, yeah. I mean, and part of it is our own doing. You know, losing those three games in Toronto didn't help, but, um, but anytime you're – you're on. You're you're at the finish line, like we are. You feel like uh, you kind of feel like you need to win every game. Now, obviously, you don't have to, but um, but I know Bob and the guys are going out there with a the mentality that they're going to pull out all the stops and do do what they can to win. You know, just about every night. So hopefully, we uh, we get on a little roll here because we need to do that. Yeah, when and when you start looking at this time of the year, how do you want to see the bullpen utilized? <laughs> I wish guys were available every night. Um, I mean, you, you, you obviously know who the guys are at the back end right now and who's having success, and, you know, there's no hiding it. I mean, Andrew, Andrew Chafin has been outstanding back there, and, and, you know, as from where I sit, you wish these guys could pitch every night, but you know they can't, um, and you know you need, you need everyone to step up, whether it's in a longer role like middle of the game or – whether it's, you know, Geekman and, and Lou and those guys getting getting the ball to Sergio and, and Chafin in the eighth and ninth. So I think, you know, I, I don't think you have a lot of wiggle room right now. you got to go out and take advantage of the, the leads you have and hold on to them. Yeah, the process of it, and you know how we work on the postgame show. We want Chafin to throw every inning of every game. Um, you know, 
how does the process work? Let's say he's thrown two days in a row. Do you do you wait till he shows up the next day, see how he's feeling, or do you just take it upon yourself to say, hey, you've thrown a couple days in a row, we're sitting you tonight? How does that work? You know, we have some objective measurements for that, and, and you know, we have some some benchmarks as far as, you know, how stressful the innings were, a number of pitches, days off leading into it, things like that. And, and, and Bob and Emo do a good job of looking at the – looking at the chart to see who's available, but there is, there's also some feel to it. And, and a guy like Andrew's thrown two days in a row. It's not going to be the same as if Sergio did, or if Jake threw two days in a row, every guy's a little different. So you look at, you look at the kind of usage chart and then you, you do go talk to the guys or I say you like Bob and Emo go talk to these guys when they get here and they'll go out and play catch the other on field. So it's a little, a little bit of art, a little bit of science and, um, it sort of determines. Obviously, if you use a guy like Chafin tonight, three nights in a row, then you know he's going to be down a little bit. So Bob's got to pick his spot. You know, you mentioned the science, and that we're down here on the field, and we see everything down in the bullpen to try and help. And, and I know you've brought in some really smart people to try and help these guys uh, with their pitches. Just how much has the game changed when it really comes to science? And you're hiring basically scientists, and they're down there watching. <laughs> they're watching. I mean, just talk about how different that is from when you first got into baseball. It is. It is different. There's a lot more people around now, a lot, a lot more technology, and it's great. I mean, and, and particularly because the, the, the guys in uniform love it, too. I think we have a lot of pitchers who are very invested uh, in making sure they're, you know, they know what they're doing. They're, they're asking questions about their trackman numbers. They want to see the slow motion video, and, and they're, they're invested in themselves, and ultimately that helps the team. So, you know, we have a good, smart group in the baseball operations department here. You know, try to make all this stuff available to the coaching staff, and I think we've been lucky with a group of players that really wants to benefit from it. Yeah, what I like about it is if you're down on the bullpen, and let's say you throw a slider that feels really good and it looks really good. Well, I like the fact that you have a, a, like a third thing coming in going, yeah, the science, what we're seeing with TrackMan or Rapsod or whatever it is, it, you're reaffirming to me that it's good. So it feels good right. out of my hand, it feels good with my eyes, and now you're telling me with the science it feels good. Yeah, I mean, you're sort of, you know, you've taken one of sort of the most basic kind of money ball principles, which is when the scouting and the stats match up, that's when you make your best decisions. So we've been lucky enough with the development of technology to, to move that from scouting onto the field. And, and like you said, when, when a pitch looks right and feels right, then you go to the numbers and, and if it backs it up and say, yeah, that's the spin, that's the spin efficiency, that's the break that you want, all those things come together. That's, that's when sort of the best coaching happens now as well. Since the All-Star break, you got a guy hitting 363. Uh, steals a base, it seems like, every single game. When you were trading for Starling Marte, did you know that was going to be Ricky Henderson 2.0? <laughs> I think you're selling him short by saying he's only stealing a base every game. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's stealing a base, and then he's harassing the pitchers into throwing the ball in the center field so he can score score all the way from second. Um, no, I, I won't say I knew the impact he was going to have. We knew he was an outstanding player, and he was going to, you know, fill a hole that we had, but um, but I had no idea the way he impacts the game every single day. I I watch a lot of baseball, and I can't tell you the last time I saw a guy 
as they're trying to pick him off second base, ball goes in the dirt, second baseman gets past him, just into short right field, and the guy scores a run. I mean, do you remember last time you saw something like that? I, I don't, and I, I also can't remember seeing someone accelerate around first base like he did yesterday on that ball he hit off the second baseman's leg. I mean, I, I was joking with Mike Aldredi today that, um, you know, what a great job he did sending Starling to second on that. Um, but the reality is I'm not sure Aldo could even see him as he was rounding first base. I mean, his acceleration is something else. No doubt about it. And let's end on this because I, I, I believe you were down here earlier checking on Mike Fires, and that's just that that's a, another variable. You think you can get anything out of Mike the rest of the way? We're, we're going to try, and, and more importantly, he's going to try and get back. I mean, he is, he's obviously, you know, rehabbed all summer to try and get back at some point and contribute. So, uh, you know, he saw saw some live hitters today. Like, like you said, I was down there watching, as was, you know, Bob and the, the medical staff. So we got to see how he responds tomorrow and, and if there's a chance for him to either go out and pitch somewhere or maybe see hitters again. It, you know, when a pitcher misses as much time as he has, uh, it's never a quick process getting back into game action, but uh, but he knows the clock is ticking, and he really he's been around all year. He's been a cheerleader. I know he wants to get out there and pitch, so we'll we'll see how he bounces back tomorrow. Yeah, it's so crazy how baseball is early, how baseball is in the middle of the summer, and then at the end it becomes more desperate. And wouldn't you say it, it's all hands on deck? Without a doubt, it's it's a full on sprint right now. And, um, yeah, anybody, anybody that's got something to offer, we're ready to put you in the game. Well, I, I, would, I would say enjoy it, but I know you won't. <laughs> For you, I will try. When we talk next week, I'll try, I'll try and remember the moments that I had fun this week. Hey, always great stuff. Thank you so much. Be well and be safe. See you, Chris. David Forst on the David Forst Show here on A's Cast Live. I mean, I would have never thought you are going to get something out of Mike Fires. What did we look at today, Cody? He's pitching two games. When yeah. I was and I was trying to even remember when those two games were. It had to be really early. Yeah, you mentioned that it was two games, and I forgot to look it up when it was he actually pitched. Because I thought the last time we saw, I completely forgot. I thought because I thought the last time we saw him pitch was last year in the playoffs against the. What, the I just White re- I remember he went at some point. I just don't remember when. I mean, that's where we are. We've had so many games down to 22. It's hard to really remember all the games, what was happening in April and May, when, let's be honest, we were just happy to be playing again. Uh, April 30th, he started a game against Baltimore, which he took the loss. He won six innings and gave up three earned runs. April 30th? April 30th, and then he started the game May 6th at home against Toronto, where he gave up five earned runs and three and a third. So he's 0-2 with a 7-7-1 ERA on the season. And reality is, the reality is this. You're at a point in the season, if you're telling me I can get three out of Mike Fires, I can get three out of Chris Bassett, I'm fine with that. That's where you are now. If you have to piece games together versus throwing out maybe a starter, I don't know, maybe it's better that you go, I don't know, two three of Bassett. Then you bring in Cap, and he goes two three. Figuring out a way to get the ball to your best relievers at the end of the game. That that's that's what this potentially could be coming down to. I mean, think of the A's. 
It is hard to believe that the A's starting pitchers have pitched more innings than anybody in baseball. So that kind of tells you, like, looking around baseball, wow, starting pitching is not great. Well, what was the number I told you earlier? Sean Maniah's start yesterday was the 20th start by an ace pitcher where they won seven innings and allowed one, one run or fewer. That's tied for the second most in baseball with the White Sox. That's I mean, terrible. I mean. Billy Martin's guys went nine every game. Now, burned them out, but they went nine yeah. every game. I mean, how many complete games they had that year? Like 90 or something like that? You know what, though, too, and, and I hate to be callous about this, but when you're a franchise, and I think the Rays have done a good job with this, when you're a franchise like the A's, these guys aren't going to be here forever. And I remember saying this about Sonny Gray. I'm like, get, everybody was so worried about Sonny Gray. I'm like, how long do you think Sonny Gray is going to be here? You need to get every bullet out of the gun from Sonny Gray that you can get. Don't save him for somebody else. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta pitch your guys. We don't know who's going to be here next year, or in two years. This is the A's, man. Anything can happen. You don't know who could get traded, who could get moved. I mean, you got 22 games left. It's all hands on deck, but you got to pitch your best guys. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. And they need some length out of their starters going forward that aren't Sean Manai and Frankie Montas. It's the Paul Blackburns who's starting tonight who, I mean, let's see which, which Blackburn's going to show. Are we going to get Paul Blackburn? He hasn't Blackburn? been bad. He no, he bad. hasn't. Are we gonna get, can we get the Paul Blackburn to pitch against the Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball? But let me ask you. What do I need out of him? Well, you, you, I'm not going to sit here and be like I am with Frankie Montas and say that I need seven seven innings. Wait, you mean you don't? You're not, you're not going to say you need the greatest start of his career every time he goes out there like you do with Montas? I, I <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I just need some. I just I, I I need some quality innings. And let's face it, the A's have not played well against anybody in division other than the Angels. I was going to say, yeah, it's they've got to turn that around. Yep. Starting starting tonight, it's got to turn around. Yeah, because if you look right now, the A's playoff odds are 10.3% entering today. Oh, it's going up. It's going up. What was it yesterday? It was six. Like six, yeah. All right, it's going up. Uh, so uh, they sit five and a half games back in the AL West. They're 9-7 and seven versus Texas. They'll give you a little bit of context. What do you think the Rays went against Baltimore this year? 16-3. Uh, 18-1. The Rays won against one. the Orioles. Well, that's... Didn't the Yankees go eight? Oh, my math would have been off there, by the way. It would have been 16-2. and two. No, uh, no, 16-3 is 19 games. Okay. Yeah. Uh, That's their San Jose Yan- State math. Y- Yankees last year against the Orioles went 18-1, and one, right? Uh, Something or, like that. Or, 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 no, no, or 20, 2019 because they didn't play. Oh, that's right, that's year. right, that's right. But, yeah, well, but, uh, by the way, Baltimore leading Toronto right now is just being 3 nothing. But, hey, Baltimore has been helping the A's out. They have. As everybody ripped the Orioles, including you, Baltimore all of a sudden has taken it to the Yankees. They're beating the uh, Blue Jays right now. Robbie Chris, Ray's pitching that game. He's going to have three runs already. Chris Sale is now on the COVID list, which you hate to hear. Yeah, that's. I mean, he was supposed to pitch so this So what weekend. does that got? That's what? They're like 11 or 12 guys on the COVID list right now? Well, two of them came back today. They got their closer, Matt Barnes, back, and they got um, uh, Xander Bogarts back. So they got their best position player back. And they're closing. Are but, all their guys being reported as, as not having symptoms? Uh, I think a lot of them have been pretty pretty good. I think a lot of they're one of the teams that are not at the eighty five percent threshold either. But uh, by the way, Angels leading the Astros one nothing in the first inning as well. So there's an early early lead for the Angels, but they're playing at Minute Maid, so they'll probably get they'll probably uh, get smashed. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to run away. 
Well, I was going to say to add context, 18-1 Razor versus Water. What do you think Houston's record is against Texas this year? I have no clue. 11-4. and four. Yeah, you take care of it. Well, you just look at what Seattle and Houston have done in division this year. They both played well. And that's why that's the difference. If the A's had played well in division, they'd be leading the division. And we wouldn't be talking about the wild card. How do you think the Angels got their one run? And, oh, by the way, if the A's have played better against bad team, against good teams, the A's have been. I got it. They've been horrific. 32 and 46. 32 and 46. Are you kidding me? That's terrible. By the way, they've lost 16 of 25 series. That's, that's also not good. Yeah. Uh, the Angels' lone run in the first inning. Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani solo bomb. That's number 44. So he's now two ahead of Vlad. Vlad's trying to get the triple crown. So Vlad leads. If Vlad wins the triple crown. At 22. On a team that goes to the playoffs, who's more valuable? Otani. Why? Because he pitches, too. That's what people when, are when, when does he pitch? Every seven days. When does he pitch? Yeah. I don't know when he's pitching. Half the time he gets scratched from his starts. When's he pitching? Yeah. Is that uh, that valuable? Is his pitching really that valuable? I had to look, too, because the, the Royals had three runs. I was like, did Salvi hit another home run? It was not Salvi, so that's that's there. And the Yankees are now down. The Yankees are up 2-1. I mean, there is something to be said of a guy. Hey, if you have great stats, you can win the Hank Aaron Award. If you're a guy doing it on a good team, you should be considered an MVP. Yeah, that's like uh, the National League MVP is very interesting because it's going to be either Tatis or Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper has been unbelievable. His for second half is un- unreal. And the Phillies stink. They're, they had another clock. Well, well they're, they're, they're still in it they're, they're, no, for the second wild card? They have 30 blown saves this year. They're, yeah, in, they're, it for, they're, they're in it for the second yeah, wild card. They're in it, but, man. You can't, you can't rule the them out. The technicality. Oh, yeah, you're the guy who told me A.J. Puck was going to be the next great reliever. Wait till they play the Pirates in a few weeks. When the Pirates end their season, I can text Hembo about it. I think you could totally make a case that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should be the MVP. Oh, I completely agree. He's he's two home runs behind Otani right now because Otani won tonight. He's four RBIs behind the lead, behind Salvador Perez and Jose Breo, and he leads the league in batting average. Well, I mean, what, and he's 22 years old. And his team's winning, and his team's hot. Yeah, so they're they're well they're not winning right now but they they have been surging they're, they're still on their win streak right yeah they've won uh they've eight won nine in a eight, row? they've won eight in a row yeah they're a half game behind the uh, Red Sox for second ball card. I mean is it is, or Yankees sorry. isn't that what you want from your MVP to be balling out at the end of the year trying to make the playoffs and you won eight in a row yeah exactly isn't that what MVP isn't that MVP like stuff yeah all right who are we playing we're gonna play the Bob Melvin show. All right, the Bob Melvin show coming up next. We want to thank Dave Cavill, the president of the A's, the great Steve Vucinich, Steve Berman, and David Forrest for the David Forrest show. I'll be back at 5:40. Thank you for listening to A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.